Hello, my name is Mallory Jenna Robinson. Join me on A Hateful Homicide, a true crime podcast dedicated to telling the stories regarding the murders of transgender, gender non-binary, and gender diverse community members in the United States and abroad. This is A Hateful Homicide. 911, what's your emergency? Yeah. transgender woman has been shot and killed in North Baltimore, Alpha. In the U.S., trans women of color have a life expectancy of just 35 years. This happens on a daily. Another one of my friends got killed right up the street from here. These cases are true. The victims are real and their voices matter. This is A Hateful Homicide. The murder of Simia Cece Dove, searching for Cece. Saturday, January 5th, 2013, Olmstead Township, Ohio. Warning, the following episode you're about to listen to will contain audio evidence of misgendering. Listening discretion is advised. Is wrapping up at the Beyond Identities Community Center in Cleveland for a murder victim whose body was found in an Olmstead Township pond. New Channel 5's Kristen Volk joins us now. Kristen, tell us more about this event this evening. Lee, this is where CC Dove's friends have been gathered for the past hour. More, we're told more than 100 here at the Beyond Identities Community Center, where she was a member. This is where police, where many of her friends say that she was just so outspoken and so sweet. And police say she was fatally stabbed last month. Her body found in a local pond, her body tied to a concrete brick and a steel pipe. A Parma man is under arrest in connection with her death. Olmstead Township Police, with help from the FBI, arrested the 36-year-old over the weekend. Earlier today, family and friends gathered for Carl or CeCe's funeral in East Cleveland. They described her as a loving person who was bullied for years. Her loved ones and local advocates say her death is a wake-up call to the community. They're urging more people to be aware and accepting of all people, regardless of their identity. Carl and CeCe are the same person, but we have to welcome and we have to wrap all of who she was up and just and accept her so many friends here have just started to go in over the past hour really just saying so many nice things about carl akoff or cc dub live in downtown cleveland i'm kristen bolton news channel 5. it's saturday january 5th 2013 in the city of olmstead township ohio it would be the home where 20-year-old African-American trans female Simia C.C. Dove would reside. And unfortunately, by that morning, when her mother, Martha Acoff, last spotted her leaving in a taxi cab, it would be the last time that C.C. was seen alive. By that Sunday, January 13th of 2013, her family, who had been worried now for about 12 days, officially reported C.C. missing. And the search, which would, which would span for over three months, would lead detectives of the Olmstead Township investigative team shocked when they uncover Cece's body floating in a nearby lake. 
And what they uncovered would leave the city of Olmsted outraged for years to come. Welcome, my audience. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode. It all began on that Saturday morning on January 5th of 2013 when 20-year-old African-American trans female Simia, also known as Cece Dove, had got in a taxi. She had told her mom that she was going to meet some friends um, in the town of Olmsted where she was residing in Cleveland, but she was going to Olmsted to go see some friends. Her mother, Martha, um, who she resided with, wasn't concerned as CC was 20 at the time and independent and totally consented with her daughter going off in this taxi cab. Unbeknownst to her that that would be the last time that she saw her daughter alive. And by that Sunday, January 13th, her and her children would all go to the Cleveland Police Department and report her missing. It all began when they realized that Cece hadn't been heard from. Her mother became concerned by that following day, the 6th, because of the fact that Cece, who was, you know, taking some community college classes and was also preparing for, like, this exam as the new school year was beginning to start in the early 2013 year, my audience, this was very out of character for her. And as this search continued, you know, and then they ultimately discovered Cece's body and all the revelations that's gonna come with this case, it really left her family heartbroken because then they discovered, as a lot of our cases, and the victims involved in sex work, survival sex work. And so her family, as this investigation unfolded, did reveal that Cece was a survival sex worker and also this was part of the contribution to her hateful homicide. They still, at this point, around the early part of January 2013, had no idea that Cece had been met with a hateful homicide. However, her mother, Martha, was suspicious as, again, her daughter was very good with keeping in touch. Um, you know, she was very good with responding to text messages and phone calls. And so, again, all she had to go off of when she filed that missing report, that missing persons report on that Sunday, January 13th, was that her daughter got into this taxi cab with, with and, and going to see friends. And so this really left her and her family perplexed. And even the city of Cleveland, which is where she was currently residing at the time of her hateful homicide, even though she had transported over to Olmstead Township. So there was these dual investigations where you had the Cleveland, the city of Cleveland, and then you had the city of Olmstead Township all kind of collaborating together to search for this trans-identified female. Even though her mother at the time would still refer to Cece by her former name, and that was kind of like how a lot of the search efforts began, it was ultimately revealed um, to Detective Constance Simone, who was the lead investigator, that um, Cece was a trans woman. And so then that again began to change the scope of the investigation my audience, where instead of them focusing on looking for a, a, a person assigned male at birth, they essentially was looking for a trans-identified female. They only had to go off of what Cece's mother had told them, which was that she got in a taxi cab around 9 a.m. that Saturday morning to go meet friends in Olmsted Township. So what the investigators did was they began to peel that back. Initially, they weren't too concerned about Cece as they had um, ultimately um, did some research and discovered that she had been um, unfortunately detained a couple of times for like some sex work charges. So initially they thought that maybe Cece had just 
went off and, you know, was going to come back or maybe she, you know, went to another city to do some more survival sex work. So initially that search was not as thorough, quote unquote, where you would see in some of our other victims, unfortunately, a lot of our victims who are, you know, sex workers of color, trans experience, these search efforts are not as thorough as we would see for our cis counterparts. And so initially for like several months, you had Cece's family, her mother, Martha, her siblings, and other extended family who were all just kind of like searching in the Olmstead area, again, with no really true concrete pinpoint of where to start. At the same time, within these several months, because the Olmstead Township and Cleveland um, both respectively had other investigations to conduct, Detective Constance Simon was still trying to make sure that she was, um, Simone, excuse me, Constance Simone was still working on identifying the, the last whereabouts of Cece. And so finally, within time, they were able to trace that Cece was dropped off at this apartment complex, the apartment complex called Cedars Lane, apartment complex in Olmsted Township. She was dropped off at this apartment complex according to the taxi services around 11 a.m. And she was dropped off and that and, and no harm had been met to her. She walked into an apartment according to the taxi driver who shall remain anonymous. Um, but we'll call him John. He saw her, you know, knock on the door and then essentially be let in into this apartment home. And he drove off and that was the last time he saw her. When Detective Constance Simon, Simone wanted to know exactly which apartment this was, because of the records, the individual's name as well as the receipt records was all documented because he had to pay via debit and credit card for the transaction um, for her, for CC to come out to Olmstead Township, which is ultimately um, how they were able to identify 36-year-old African-American cisgendered male, Andre Bridges. And as this investigation began to unfold, by April 20th of 2013, they're investigating, they're searching the apartment, they're speaking to Andre's landlords to figure out like kind of if there's been any kind of suspicions or evidence they discovered as they spoke to Andre's landlord that he had essentially left by January 15th of 2013. They went to go, um, it all began around again that Monday of January 8th when they went to go and get collect rent from him and um, he was not there and they walked in and the apartment just looked um, just bloody and just gory and then they had also over that weekend that Sunday a couple of days before they had went into the home to to you know obtain rent from Andre they had saw him burning some items out there by the lake behind the Cedars Lane apartments and so by that um, April 20th of 2013, the um, there was a phone call, a 911 call that came out. And that 911 call um, was that of a, a resident of the Cedar Lanes apartment had discovered a, a very visible, floating, bloated body of an un unidentified person. They had no, the body was very badly decomposed. Um, and so they had no idea exactly who this victim was. Because of the court, you know, coordination of CC being missing, CC being last seen in Olmsted Township, Township, and all of these different factors, 
This subsequently led to investigators kind of putting two and two together. They reached out to Martha Acoff, Cece's mother, to get dental records and also additional DNA evidence. And as all of this was being uncovered, they were able to um, confirm that this victim, who had been found three months later since been reported missing, was that of 20-year-old African-American trans female, Simia Cece Dove. Oh, my audience, this left, you know, the Acoff family, this left CC's family and friends, law investigators, um, all questioning what happened to this beautiful 20-year-old trans female who was in the prime of her life, who was in community college um, in Cleveland. She was, you know, again, going to school for architecture. She loved drawing. In 2013, it was this was four days after the new year, so it was very early on into the 2013 year when all of a sudden this beautiful, vibrant 20-year-old um, trans female just stopped existing. Essentially, all contact and communication ceased, leaving again her loved ones shocked and sad, and especially when we fast forward to three months later and her body is discovered. As the investigative team, you know, you know, takes out Cece's body and she's taken into the coroners, they discover that Cece, whose body was found floating, was not only wrapped but with a cinder block tied her body down to the lake, but then also a pipe which was tied around her neck to all keep her contained down. As the coroner began to investigate, he uncovered that Cece had been brutally stabbed throughout her entire body over 40 times, leaving her with the most fatal wound bent towards her jugular vein within her neck, which would have led her bleeding out and dying, which is what coordinated and coordinated to the blood evidence within Andre Bridges' um, apartment. So again, all of this just began to confirm that Andre Bridges was the, the perpetrator of this hateful homicide. And so now, after they have searched for Cece and they've investigated and identified her body floating in the lake behind Andre's Cedar Lane apartment, which is the last place she was seen alive, they now have to find Andre. And unfortunately, he has a three-month lead on them, my audience. He has been gone since that Monday. I mean, he literally, from what the landlord identified with that weekend of the hateful homicide, um, was that they saw him burning things. And so by that Monday, when they went to go collect rent, he was nowhere to be found. So he has essentially been in the wind from January 8th of 2013 up until the time that her body is found floating behind his apartment on April 20th of 2013. So now they really have to start searching and you have both the Olmsted Township because this is where her body was found, right? But then you still have the Cleveland police who are also assisting with these search efforts. And so you have this, this tireless search to identify 36-year-old cisgender black male, Andre Bridges, and understand what the hell happened and how did this hateful homicide bestow this, this 20-year-old trans female who was 16 years his junior. A, how did these two meet? And B, how did she all of a sudden end up floating in the back of, in the lake in the back of his apartment? This was the questions that Detective Constance Simone wanted to get answers to. And so they began to search and search and by May 6th of 2013, they were able to apprehend Andre Bridges, excuse me, in uh, Cincinnati, Ohio, where he had been hiding out at a friend's house 
when he was finally brought in into the Olmstead Township um, Detective's Office, one of the things that they really wanted to understand was, again, how did this unfold? Well, my audience, according to Andre Bridges, he, you know, paid $100 um, for CC to come out to his home and spend the weekend with him. You know, it was the first weekend of the 2013 New Year. He wanted to have some good time. He wanted to drink. He found her on a dating app. He thought that she was a beautiful, according to him, cisgendered woman. And when he uncovered and discovered that she was trans, things went out of turn. However, before he disclosed this part of his confession, he started off with a preface of, well, I was in my apartment with CC. I stepped out for a moment and then all of a sudden I walked back in and it was my landlord and his friend who were just murdering CC and I was in fear of my life and I then fled. So of course, these were the two different versions that they had to go off of. They had the one version of where he fled you know, for his own safety, right? This is why he got out of there. But then also he was, you know, then at the same time, by the end, by the time Detective Cousin Simone had really, you know, just pointed out the, the, the sheer evidence of the fact that this woman was found. He was the one who ordered the taxi for her to come to his home. He was the one who opened the door for her. She was last seen going into his apartment around 11 a.m. on January 5th, 2013. His landlord saw him burning evidence the next day, that Sunday, January 6th, and then also just other suspicious activity. And then he just abruptly left. So again, there was these contradicting evidence as they weren't quite sure, right? Because maybe Andre was telling the truth, my audience. Maybe the landlord and his friend was involved. Maybe all of them wanted to you know, be involved with CC that morning. And then it went for a turn for the worse. And unfortunately, um, CC was met with this hateful homicide. However, with forensic evidence, with lie detector tests, as well as just rock solid alibis, they were able to eliminate the landlord and his friend and ultimately focus on Andre Bridges. And one of the things that I want to share with you all as well is that from, of course, our great and lovely commentator, Raven Noah, who is one of my sisters from a different mister, and she just always provides great insight on these cases. I want to just take a moment and give you all some insight from how she perceived the hateful homicide of Cece Dove. Put it on the 
Cece's pants, um, other evidence that would have, you know, also included evidence of a sexual assault. The coroner did also try to see if there was any semen or any other body specimens found inside of Cece at the time of her autopsy on April 23rd of 2013. And essentially, um, they did not find any spermicide or spermosoza um, cells. And so this ultimately led to uh, Andre Bridges not being charged with a sexual assault, um, even though um, there is potential evidence that could, could prove that based on the fact that her, her pants were not on her body. Um, so again, as we continue to go through this case, my audience is just really heartbreaking um, because of the fact that you have now this family of Cece Dove who has been searching for her for over three months, right? They reported her missing. They've been searching between Cleveland and Olmstead. And now they get the heartbreaking news, the confirmation on that April 23rd of 2013, just what would have been getting ready to be Cece's 21st birthday as well, right? Her birthday was um, in April of 1992. And so she was getting ready to turn 21 in 2013. And unfortunately, she did not um, get to see that. However, her family felt at the time when her body was discovered was that this was also in a way a, a kind of, you know, divine intervention where it was almost like Cece coming home for her around her birthday. And so the fact that her body was discovered around what would have been um, around the time of her birthday, her 21st birthday that year, um, the family was at the very least thankful that they not only were able to find Cece, uh, as so many families sometimes don't even get that kind of clarification as to what happened. Because um, again, they weren't sure if she just went off to Cincinnati and did sex work there or if she had went to Chicago. I mean, there was all these speculations for several months because again, there was no, no body, no crime, which is what Andre Bridges was hoping for. Um, unbeknownst to the fact that science and biology, right, all of these things that factor into her body being able to float after several months that he was hoping that wouldn't happen because of her body being tied down by this, you know, cinder block and other, you know, heavy inanimate objects that he was hoping to keep her confined into the bottom of this lake. And what's heartbreaking is, is that you have this family who is now left willing with the reality of the fact that not only, and they're finding this out too, from Detective Constance Simone, that Cece was, uh, you know, was a, was part of sex work. And that is what happened on that Saturday morning of January 5th, 2013, when she got in that taxi. She was not going to meet a friend like her mother, Martha, thought um, she was going to meet Andre Bridges, who was a client. However, now, as you could hear from Raven Noah earlier, there was these kind of like conflicting statements. Like some, there was like some people, like some of Cece's friends who said, oh, like he knew her and like he like became, like he knew she was trans. He, you know, obviously he enjoyed the, the intercourse with her and he like that he called her multiple times that morning to my audience just to give you a little bit more context about just how 
desperate he was to see her that morning. So he called her, he paid $100 for a taxi to take her from Cleveland to two hours to uh, Olmstead Township, which is where he was residing at the Cedar Lane's apartment. So there was obviously this need for Cece, you know, whether it was because she was 20 and he was 36, right? So maybe he was in a need for someone younger. We, you know, again, all of these things, Detective Constance Simone was really hoping to, you know, unearth in this interrogation with Andre Bridges. Again, he was sticking to his story of kind of like this, look, you know, like I wasn't there. I helped get rid of some of the evidence, but it was my landlord and the tenant. They were the ones who did this. He stuck to that even all the way to his trial. And even all the way to his, his subsequent conviction, he will not, um, still to this day, admit to the fact that he committed the hateful homicide of Cece Dove, which, um, you know, really still to this day, nine years later, leaves her family very heartbroken. It's coming up on the 10th year anniversary and in, in just six months. And so, you know, it's really heartbreaking. And as we continue to go through this case, I'm going to also share with you this, this really inspiring because this case in 2013 just really galvanized the, the whole state of Ohio, but especially the city of Cleveland where Cece grew up in and then also the Beyond Identities Church where she was laid to rest in, where she was memorialized at. These community members all band together to comprise a video um, in, in, in honor of her, but then also in recognition of Trans Awareness Week, which would have been in November of that year. So this would have been essentially 11 months after the hateful homicide of Cece, but this also would have been about um, give or take eight months after her body had been discovered. As we know, as we've uncovered um, and, and heard on other episodes, my audience, you know, Trans Awareness Week is in coordination of Transgender Day of Remembrance, which is around November. Um, that's from November 13th to about November 21st of each year. So when this video was made, this was around the week of November 13th um, until November 20th of 2013, where this video was made in recognition of um, Transgender Day of Remembrance, which unfortunately, CC became a victim of that call out that year. You know, as um, as some of you may know, each year, the, the victims of, of trans homicides, of hateful homicides, these victims are all comprised and calculated and added up. And then they're read out um, throughout the Human Rights Campaign, GLAD, and other LGBTQA agencies to recognize these victims who are no longer here. And so unfortunately, by November of 2013, 11 months um, after the hateful homicide of Cece, she was one of those victims for that 2013 year. And so again, her loved ones wanted to comprise a video to just acknowledge her. So we'll share that in just a little bit to really just see how this individual was impacted. But now let's just delve into a little bit about Cece herself. Born April of 1992, Cece was the daughter of Martha Acoff. She had brothers and sisters. Um, she wasn't quite close with her dad. However, you know, they were slightly starting to establish a relationship. In 2013, Cece was, you know, in community college for architecture, and she was really hoping to, to make a future in that. She loved the idea of real estate. She loved the idea of being able to design people's homes, including her own dream home and that of her mother and her grandmother. So she was really 
hopeful at this time um, for a, a new year. She had began the 2013 New Year celebrating with her family and friends at her Cleveland home that she shared with her mother at the time of her disappearance, just four days later after the New Year of 2013. And so again, one of her New Year's resolutions, according to her brother, Khalif, was that, um, you know, that she hoped to graduate from college that she, well, she hoped to graduate from community college and then go on to um, additional four-year university and get her bachelor's and then even her master's. Part of her, uh, even though her family wasn't aware of her participating in survival sex work at the time of her disappearance on January 5th of 2013, they knew that she was trying to put herself through college. And so a lot of them just assumed that she was, you know, working at like a fast food restaurant, which she had done the year prior in 2012, was, um, was laid off. Cece was also the victim of bullying. Um, when she began her gender journey around 2018, when she was 16, um, as well as myself, I began my gender journey at 16, so I, uh, this case really connected with me. But when she began her gender journey around 2008, just five years before her hateful homicide, um, Cece had undergone a lot of bullying in high school. Um, she, though loved by her family, still was very misunderstood by her father and other relatives. And so there, there was just kind of this, you know, really internal journey that she was working on and, and, and really getting to a place of peace for herself. Um, nonetheless, despite the fact that she faced bullying in high school, she still went on to graduate in 2010 and then went on to began her years in community college up until the time of her hateful homicide um, on January 5th of 2013. So again, Cece had a lot of goals for her future, the 20-year-old. She was just several months shy of her 21st birthday in 2013. And so her family, especially her mother, Martha, who was very close with her, recalled that morning seeing her daughter head off um, and, you know, just saying, bye, mama. I love you. I'll see you in a little bit. I'll see you later that day. Um, Cece had planned to meet some of her girlfriends later that evening to go dancing. It was a Saturday night. It was the first weekend of the new year of the 2013 new year so she was planning to go out to you know some clubs and have a good time and unfortunately all of that was cut short by 12 p.m on january 5th of 2013 within an hour of her entering the home of that her 36 year old cisgendered african-american male andre bridges she would be met with a hateful homicide where she would be stabbed over 40 times throughout her entire body through the upper and lower torso. And then he waited, he waited until later that evening, around 10 p.m. on that same day. At this point, Cece has been dead for about 10 hours, laying bloody and, and bleeding out in his kitchen. And he then takes her body and dumps it, ties it to the cinder block, then dumps her into this lake behind his apartment, and then burns the rest of her evidence, evidence that would have included semen samples. That is one of the reasons um, why he got rid of her pants was because semen was on her pants. And so he was worried that this would tie back to him, even though he did not obviously connect the fact that he used his credit card to pay for CC to come out to Olmstead Township on that Saturday. So that itself was already connecting him to the case. But then on top of that, the apartment was in his name. So all of these things, despite his best efforts to burn the, you know, the semen soaked pants, 
through his best efforts to dispose of Cece's body behind his apartment complex, tying her down. He was not realizing that he had already left this cyber footprint of everything that led him to be the only person that could be responsible for the hateful homicide of Cece Dove. And my audience, you know, it's just, again, you know, it's really heartbreaking because, you know, there still is this kind of question that even Detective Constance Simone was never able to get the answer to, which was, was this the first encounter that he and Cece had engaged in? And he would never say. He never admitted if he knew Cece before, if this was his first time knowing her. But again, Detective Simone and her team were able to really kind of uncover that based on the phone conversations, based on the series of text messages, because they were able to go back and pull CC's, um, you know, AT&T cell phone records. They were able to go back and, and, and pull up her cell phone records and her text messages, which revealed this, this copious amount of conversations that had stemmed back from around November of 2012. So they had been in conversations, at least via text, for about a month and a half prior to the hateful homicide. So even though there was like these questions that Andre Bridges would never reveal or, you know, com confess to, he did again, you know, admit to being the, the responsible person for disposing of the evidence. So he was subsequently arrested um, that same day on May 6th of 2013 when he was apprehended and then um, he was subsequently very quickly um, placed into a pretrial around May 14th of 2013. So then all of this began to unfold and then his trial began around March of 2014 which ultimately led to him being convicted of second degree murder and sentenced to 20 years to life in prison. This case really grappled me, my audience, because you think of this individual and I, I can connect with Cece, right? In, in 2013, I too was still in college. And, you know, it's very easy for us to think of survival sex workers and just think, oh, this is just something that they do. And some, yes, absolutely. Of course, some people do survival sex work because it is their love. They love sex. They love to participate in sex and provide that comfort for clients. However, in Cece's case, she was just trying to put herself through school. And um, as we know, in a lot of different states, there's a lot of legislation and bans that constantly provides barriers and challenges for or our trans folks. And even though Cece was somewhat supported by her family, she was from a family of, you know, of a lower income bracket. So they weren't able to provide a lot of financial and fiscal support. So this required Cece to, you know, ultimately take matters into her own hands. And this led to her participating in survival sex work, which then led to her being in contact with Andre Bridges. And, you know, this encounter led to her being murdered by the afternoon of January 5th. All of these plans that this beautiful 20-year-old African-American trans female had for herself for that 2013 year was just snuffed out all because of her identity, all because of her line of work, all because of the fact that Andre Bridges was worried that the fact that this trans-identified woman had walked into his home that morning and the fact that people could have seen, right? Oh my goodness, now you know they could know that she's trans and what does that mean about me? And all of these things that are going through his head 
subsequently led to him committing the hateful homicide of CC Dove that Saturday afternoon. But what I do now want to take a moment is just also give you a little bit into when Andre Bridges was indicted and kind of take you into um, Judge Michael Alstead's ruling right now. Thank you are not here for the trial of your case. You have the right to know and understand the charges placed against you. Uh, Mr. Corrigan, if we can have Andre Bridges next. That is case number much the the overall ruling around May 24th of 2013 you could hear and and again this is all um, again on YouTube and you can see my audience if you get a chance to look at this uh, where Andre Bridges is indicted for the murder of CC Dove um, he is very he's looking very cavalier very you know casual he doesn't seem to have any remorse he has never acknowledged um, to the ACOF or the family his um, his sympathies. He's never um, expressed remorse for what has happened to Cece. And so again, he was subsequently placed, um, was charged with the second degree murder of Simia Cece Dove and then sentenced to 20 years to life. And all of that was concluded around June of 2014, where he is now currently residing in Ohio Department of Corrections. And as we prepare to conclude this case, my audience, I just want to say to my love bug, Simia CC Dove, we remember you yesterday, today, tomorrow, forever and always. Born 1992 and resting on since January 5th of 2013. We remember you, love bug. Thank you all so much for tuning in to this episode of A Hateful Homicide, The Murder of Cece Dove, Searching for Cece. My name is Mallory Jenner Robinson, your host. Please follow us on Instagram at A Hateful Homicide. You can also follow me on Instagram at MalloryJenna90. Please check out our website at ahatefulhomicide.net and also use the hashtags transawareness, true crime, Suspenseful Saturdays, A Hateful Homicide, and podcasts. Again, thank you all so much, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your weekend. Bye-bye.